The first day I walked into this church, there was a guest preacher who read a poem by Margaret Wheatley that touched me deeply. In part because of her extreme honesty, partly because of how much I connected with her poem, and despite the fact that I cried through most of the service, I decided this was the place for me. <laughs> I was at a place of extreme uncertainty. I had left my job as a social worker of 13 years, moved from the only city I'd ever lived more than four consecutive years, and embarked on a new career and new life, spurred on by layoff. I always had a plan, and then I found myself in a place where that plan no longer worked for me. I had to come up with something new. The poem she read was entitled, Raven, Teach Me to Ride the Winds of Change. Perch where the wind comes at you full force. Let it blow you apart till your feathers fly off and you look like hell. Then abandon yourself. The wind is not your enemy. Nothing in life is. Go where wind takes you, higher, lower, backwards. The wind will carry you forward. The wind to carry you forward will find you when you are ready, when you can bear it. This poem made me realize that although I felt I was amidst chaos and uncertainty, I need only breathe and know that it was all happening for a reason, and that regardless of the outcome, I would arrive in a new place and would grow as a person. When I think of the times in my life where I have had the most stress, they have been times when I'm surrounded by uncertainty. Moves, new jobs, meeting new people, all of these cause my brain to go into complete overdrive. My introverted nature is to account for some of this. My desire to remain out of the spotlight and in control of my situation always helps me reduce anxiety. Most of the time, I'm able to calm the sense of panic with research, looking up websites, driving directions, parking information, and factoring in time so that I'm never late, make social situations more manageable. This research works well when the cause of the situation is something you can research. When it is an interpersonal issue, like many situations that cause uncertainty, the variables are far too many to predict, and attempts at research then might come across as obsessive and stalker-like. <laughs> because people present their own set of variables that make it more difficult to control with planning alone. I have been repeatedly faced then with how to deal with these periods so that I maintain a feeling of sanity, trying to accept the uncertainty or at least acknowledge when it's only the uncertainty causing my distress, is a primary coping mechanism. I thought this might be an issue for our congregation because in our free and responsible search for truth and meaning, we're opened up to more uncertainty. I thought that perhaps these were issues that might even be more, more pronounced if there were not a black and white doctrine to fall back on for support in these times. As Unitarians, many of us relish the absence of doctrine and embrace the ability to have discussions and dialogue rather than blindly following a predictated path. I would say that Unitarians, more than most faith groups, see the certainty of doctrine of other groups as limiting rather than comforting. One day I had two Mormon boys knock on my door and ask to talk to me about their faith. I told them that I had a faith I was happy with, but they persisted insisting that surely I must want answers. I told them that I loved my faith precisely because it did not offer explicit answers, but instead allowed me to question. I think I stumped them. Or they figured I was beyond their ability to save because they gave me their card and left. <laughs> I love that I live my life without a belief in absolutes, 
Yes, it complicates things a bit when I feel the need to think about things from several different perspectives and account for different influences and different meanings and different interpretations. It makes me feel a little crazy sometimes, but I still prefer that most days to living my life with a black and white answers. The paradox, of course, is the one absolute I might believe in is uncertainty. I am certain that I am not certain. What I've come to realize through the past few months of meditation on uncertainty is that it surrounds us constantly. Even in areas where we think things are the most controlled and predictable, or if not predictable, at least explainable, we have an equation for uncertainty. Heisenberg's uncertainty principle was presented in 1927. It is expressed as a simple equation that is straightforward to prove mathematically. This idea caused upheaval in the field of quantum mechanics at a level rarely seen before. And it is now one of the most fundamental principles in the field. In an article in the New York Times, the initial presentation was described this way. Fully 200 mathematical physicists listened to his brief exposition of a conception which will make it necessary to modify belief in what we are pleased to call common sense and reality. Simply put, it states that there is a fundamental limit to what one can know about a quantum system. For example, the more precisely we know a particle's position, the less we can know about its momentum, vice versa. So very loosely translated, it shows that the more we seek to understand the exact specificity of a thing, the less specific we can be. If this is true of atoms and particles at the basic foundation of life, certainly it must also apply to the complexity of human existence. Just as those scientists who felt their worlds upturned by this realization we too can adapt our mindsets in relation to uncertainty. By breaking the overwhelming feelings down into smaller, more manageable feelings, we can begin to deal with it more easily. And although we may not be able to simplify the uncertainty in our lives to an equation, we can certainly bring more order to our response to uncertainty. So I started writing this on how to deal with uncertainty. Quickly, I found that I was uncertain what I meant by uncertainty. Buddhist nun Pima Chodron says that it is this resistance to change that causes suffering. While sometimes change is what brings up uncertainty, I'm unsure if I fully embrace this, that this is the main contributor to uncertainty. The more I read and pondered, what I found was that I had a strong aversion to not knowing. When faced with an overabundance of possibilities without the ability to predict or plan, I feel paralyzed in an endless loop of thought as though I was trying to balance on a small platform floating on water, like lily pads on a lake. There may be several platforms to choose from, but none of them sturdy, and none allowing me to relax and be present. I've been a pretty good adapter throughout my life. Once I know what I'm facing, I can plan, but until I have a starting point, I lose my mind. This state of not knowing makes my brain attempt to plan a million different directions, while at the same time knowing that none of them are certain. This only increases my stress. So in the midst of one of these periods, I picked up Pima Trojan's book, Living Beautifully with Uncertainty and Change. It seemed like a good thing. One portion of this told me to leap into the void with curiosity and courage. This was a new concept. Rather than just seeking to coexist with uncertainty, I could essentially run toward it. She refers to choosing this choosing to address this as spiritual warriorship, the -the on-the-spot practice of being fully present and a way to claim your courage, your kindness, and your strength. So instead of approaching uncertainty with trepidation and wariness, 
I can see it as something to intentionally embrace. Obviously easier said than done. But coming from a place of curiosity and courage seems preferable to feeling intimidated. This I could embrace. Warriorship felt like I was doing something. The need to control my situation further increases my stress when I feel like things are happening without my sense of control. Actively observing uncertainty in my daily life and taking a concrete step to sit with it seemed plausible. I already did this with much less stress in my spiritual and philosophical life. Again, better in theory than in practice. But as Pima Chodron points out, it's up to you whether you want whether your life is a mandala of neuroses or a mandala of sanity. She goes on to say, letting go of the fixed self isn't something we can just wish to happen, however. It's something we predispose ourselves to with every gesture, every word, every deed, and every thought. My first reaction to that practice was that it sounded exhausting. But then I realized I was doing the same things to try and protect myself from uncertainty. If I changed the focus of all that energy, perhaps I could begin to see positive results. To fully understand what it is about uncertainty that makes us uncomfortable, we have to understand negative emotions and how they affect us. Because the common response to uncertainty is negative, very few people say, I have no idea what's happening, and that makes me feel extraordinarily satisfied. <laughs> understanding uncertainty includes being aware of how we each respond to negative emotions. Feeling that ground beneath us is not supportive or stable can shake our faith in the world at large. The familiarity of our surroundings provides a backdrop that we understand and a basis to draw from without much question. When that is shaken, it causes a ripple effect through the rest of our worldview. Joan Didion, in her book Chronicling Life After Her Husband's Death, with all the various levels of uncertainty that was sure to mark, used the phrase, the shallowness of sanity. This struck a chord for me, for at those moments when I feel like uncertainty is overwhelming me, I feel I may never have a level of certainty or sanity ever again. It slipped away so easily. So quickly, years of work and therapy dealing with anxiety and depression melt away, and I want to curl up in fetal position. All because I let the uncertainty of the situation overtake and paralyze me. The uncertainty over whether I will make it out of a situation intact overwhelms me. I heard another phrase once that seemed to encapsulate this period, although I'm not sure where I heard it, a vortex of pain, where one uncertainty leads to another until what started as a simple incident or thought might then have me questioning my place in the world, my career path, and all my friends. I realize this is a rational, though disproportionate, response. As Pima Chodron states in her book, uncomfortable emotions don't open us up, they close us down. In this shutting down, we give in and are overtaken by the emotions. So the idea of proactively recognizing and addressing uncertainty made sense to me. Why wait until you're curled up in the corner to try and feel better? If you burn yourself, you don't leave your hand on the stove contemplating the pain. It makes more sense to pull your hand back and go find some aloe to stop it from burning. If you visit the pain briefly and visit intense emotions a little at a time, we can cultivate new ways of viewing our experience, new ways of dealing with discomfort, and new ways of embracing groundlessness, says Pima Chodron. Mindfulness meditation gives us this opportunity. So here I found a link between the psychological uncertainty and the spiritual uncertainty. And I noticed the similarities of this approach to psychosocial therapy, specifically dialectical behavioral therapy. 
This is a therapy based on mindfulness, and it differs from cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a more standard approach, in its emphasis on validation, a powerful tool whereby the therapist and the patient work on accepting uncomfortable thoughts, feelings, and behaviors rather than struggling with them. Once an identified thought, emotion, or behavior has been validated, the process of change no longer appears impossible, and the goals of gradual transformation become reality. Much of what makes these uncomfortable feelings hard to deal with is not understanding what they are, the uncertainty of feeling something, but not necessarily understanding what you are feeling or where the feeling is coming from, makes it seem intolerable and overwhelming. Very practical and concrete steps are prescribed in DBT in order to learn to identify, accept, and regulate overwhelming emotions. In addition to mindfulness, two major practices are distress tolerance and emotion regulation. The idea being that you have to be able to tolerate what is happening enough to be in a place to regulate your response. This practice of distress tolerance uses the apropos acronym of ACCEPTS, where people do different activities, they contribute to different things, make comparisons of their lives to others, use opposite emotions to what they're feeling, push away negative thoughts, think pleasant thoughts, and engage in sensations that make themselves feel better. Approaching uncertainty and acknowledging it without getting stuck in it allows you to build a tolerance of sort. In these moments, understanding of what is causing our distress, we may also find a way to address or reduce the uncertainty. One way to deal with the inevitable negative feelings is to acknowledge, absorb, and release them. To breathe them in, understanding that suffering is all over the world, and breathe out feelings of peace for everyone. Acknowledging that we are all interconnected and thereby doing something not only to make ourselves feel better, but also to improve the human condition. I am by no means an expert at this. The belief is that by doing seconds, you will be able to see a shift in yourself as you acknowledge life for all it is, and you begin to appreciate the groundlessness of life for life as it really is. And you can see that the uncertainty is indeed a portion of life, but not the entirety of it. This leads us to one major practice in dealing with uncertainty, Tonglen meditation. One idea related to this is the idea of charnel ground. The literal charnel ground is a place where bodies are left out to decompose in the open, given that the ground is too frozen to bury them. Uh, monks will meditate in such this such kind of a gruesome environment, um, which forces them to accept life for all that it is and still find peace and connection. The emotional charnel ground takes this literal practice and transforms it into a mental acknowledgement of life for all that it is and still carry on. In her book, When Things Fall Apart, Heart Advice for Difficult Times, Pima Chodron says, perhaps the closest thing to a charnel ground in our world is not a graveyard, but a hospital emergency room. That could be the image for our working basis which is grounded in some honesty about how the human realm functions. It smells, it bleeds, it's full of unpredictability, but at the same time, it has a self-radiant wisdom, food that will nourish us, and things that are beneficial and pure. So much happens in a hospital emergency room all at once, life and death, people helping each other, people suffering. Embracing this more holistic view of life is obviously easier to do some days than others. It's easier for someone dealing with philosophical arguments or those issues looked at more broadly rather than specifically. 
But if we can learn to apply this technique to those moments when we are feeling the most overwhelmed, the most desperate for stable footing, and the most wanting to retreat, we can begin to reclaim ourselves as spiritual warriors. We can begin to realize that although we may be balancing on a single lily pad, we are still above water. Although it is taking a lot of our energies, we have not fallen. Although we can, all we can do is focus on it, on our balance at that moment, the world around us continues, and others have done this before. Once we can begin to clear our heads of the panic, we can begin to see ways to reduce the uncertainty in small ways, determine ways that mitigate these feelings of panic for the future. And in those times when we are feeling unstable ground, we can continue this practice. It is much easier to plan and think rationally when your energy isn't focused on what feels like survival. Being mindful of these situations after the fact also allows us to store up that courage for the next time we are in a tenuous position. Turning our minds from wariness and fear towards curiosity and courage can little by little change the way our brain reacts. Yes, we will be pretending sometimes, but over time, Perhaps we can retrain our brain's instinctive reaction to be one of acceptance of uncertainty, or at the very least, tolerance. In this mindful state, we can begin to recognize our tiny victories over it, the small changes in attitude when we are able to reframe a situation, the moments when we realize that what is causing our distress and see a way to address it. In these moments, we will be able to increase our feeling of strength when dealing with uncertainty and realize that only in these moments of upheaval and change do we ever change and grow. So go forward, leap with curiosity and courage into the void. <laughs>